This is episode 114. We welcome you to the ADHD Smarter Parenting Podcast. Here to heal and elevate lives is your parenting coach, Siope Kinikini. I'm listing the things that I'm grateful for, and this is a great exercise for all parents to do in order to help get them in the right mindset when you're interacting and engaging with your child. So I'm grateful for technology. I'm grateful for all the frontline workers and for all that they do in order to help the people who are sick, as well as people who just need help in general. Now, I'm also grateful for family. I'm grateful for the ability to have family support, both my immediate family and my extended family. I'm super grateful for my siblings and for their support and my in-laws for everything that they do in order to check in and be sure things are, are going well. And family can be defined in a lot of different ways. For you, it may be uh, people who are around you. So I'm also grateful for community. And so if there's a community of people out there who you have adopted as your family during this difficult time, I'm grateful that there are people out there willing to reach out and to help each other. So however you define that family and community, I'm grateful that they exist. We have a great neighborhood that we live in. And we have wonderful neighbors who are always looking out for our benefit and helping us out. So super grateful for that. And if you don't feel like you have a community that you are connected with, just know that uh, here, we here at Smarter Parenting are your community. And we, we value you and you are important to us and your family is important to us. And we want to help in any way that we can with the behavioral issues that your children are struggling with. I am grateful for you. I'm grateful for you as parents who are out there. Um, for being flexible with all the changes that have been going on. It's not an easy thing to upend your life and then have to readjust pretty much everything and readjust to the changing world around us. And so your ability to do that uh, should be complimented and should be commended. You know, So I'm grateful for you for being willing to adjust and really willing to attack some of these problems and these issues head on because there are things that that we need to do so those are the things that i'm grateful for i'm grateful for technology frontline workers family community and i'm grateful for you i'm grateful for parents out there all right so great doesn't that feel better don't you think with you obviously listing five things that you're grateful for before you interact with your child will be a great step in helping you get in the right mindset when you are working and helping your child I recommend it. I recommend it because you want to be in a good place when you're interacting with your child. If you approach your child in a negative way or you're in this bad space, it's going to reflect in your interaction with your child and that makes it very difficult. Just be aware of that. Always try and be in the best mindset possible when you're interacting with your child. Now let's go ahead and talk about uh, anxiety. I have talked about anxiety and how anxiety may manifest in children, especially with some surprising uh, symptoms that they may experience. Some of those symptoms may include stomach aches or a vomiting, headaches, dizziness or fainting, heart palpitations or chest pain, hives, they could lose their appetite, a skin picking or other body focused repetitive behavior, shortness of breath, uh, gas and diarrhea. So a lot of different things to be noticing in your children. If you are observing that your child is really struggling and with anxiety over all the changes that are happening right now, 
you want to be sure that you are there for them and that you're there to help work through those issues with them by, by being a support system, being a comfort and being able to help them. The one thing I did want to go over is that talking in general about anxiety and understanding why it exists and how it exists with our children. So anxiety stems from our brain, from the part of the brain that's called the amygdala, which is our fight or flight. And when we feel like we are in danger or when we feel threatened in any way, then we have this sense of we need to fight or we need to run from it. And those feelings of anxiety with your children, with all the changes that have been going on, it's very, very common for them to really feel a sense of insecurity. And you as a parent can help provide some of that sense of security in the way that you engage and interact with your children in the way that you communicate with your children about what's going on. And it's important to be able to communicate with them on how to do that, about having your child develop, you and your child develop a way to communicate about these difficult issues in order to help your child deal with these issues. So the anxiety in and of itself is a manifestation of their insecurities and their, the uncertainty of the situation. And your job as a parent is to help them navigate through that. Now, is anxiety bad? That's a question a lot of people ask. Not necessarily. Anxiety has actually been very helpful for mankind to progress to where we're at because it's taught us not to just stand there when we're in danger. It actually teaches us, okay, this is dangerous. We need to go. The problem with anxiety sometimes and when it becomes a, a real issue is when it overstays its welcome so when it, anxiety starts to influence the rest of your life and you're unable you're paralyzed by it and it affects the way that you function the way that you interact or engage with other people then it becomes a problem and your child may be feeling some of that so be aware of that now as parents you also want to be aware of your own interactions with your children to be sure that you're not pushing out this anxiety onto them and then it just increases and ex exponentially grows already the discomfort that they're feeling. So take stock in yourself. Where are you? You know, how are you feeling? And if you control your feelings of anxiety, then you can work through it. A lot of great questions about anxiety and how anxiety is influencing a lot of the behaviors that we're seeing with children. So we just want to be there as a support using skills that we know work from the teaching family model. So I wanted to be sure to cover uh, a little bit more about anxiety during this time. I received a question, a very specific question, and this comes in from Rebecca and John. Uh, their question is, how do I help my child stay focused on his schoolwork? My son just won't pay attention to what he needs to do, and it's driving me crazy. So he needs to be doing homework or chores. It seems like he can't do it unless I'm right there the entire time. Okay, Rebecca and John, I hear you. <laughs> this is not an uncommon problem. And now that your child is at home and you're at home, it probably seems like it's magnified even more. Uh, that you're able to observe this uh, behavior from him. I get it. Uh, in communicating with Rebecca and John, we delve deeper 
uh, into what is going on and what is happening in the home in order to determine what skills would be best suited to help them. And so that's what you would get coaching session. I'll ask you more in-depth questions so we can individualize the approach that you should use in order to help your child focus better. Uh, Rebecca and John, thank you for the question. It's a great question and it's one that is consistently asked regardless of the circumstances. How do we help our children stay on task with the things that they need to do? So I'm going to give you five, initially, five things that you should do, take into consideration, and then I'm going to teach you two skills. So I'm going to share these two skills with you because I honestly believe that John and Rebecca are not the only parents out there who have had this problem. Their child is 10 years old. He's a boy and he does struggle with ADHD. We're gonna focus on schoolwork, okay? We're gonna focus on schoolwork first so we can help them in that arena because in communicating with John and Rebecca, that's the arena they feel, felt had the best option for success. So we can focus on a lot of different areas in order to help them stay on task, but schoolwork is the one that we chose, and we chose it for a number of reasons, but we chose it because we felt like he would be most successful in focusing on schoolwork, and because the parents, because Rebecca and John could control the environment, and then what we will do is as he progressively becomes better at focusing while he's doing his schoolwork, then we'll focus in on the other areas, but it will be easier because he's been able to do it with his, his schoolwork, okay? So we're gonna focus on schoolwork. Okay, so here are the five recommendations that I want them to consider before we start using the skills. Number one, to get out as much energy as possible from their son before he begins his study time. That means getting to do jumping jacks, getting him to run around a little bit, getting some of that pent-up energy out. Because the more energy he comes to sit down and do his homework, the less likely he's going to be able to control himself. Type of exercise or anything that will get some of the energy out will be very helpful for their son. Now, it doesn't have to be super long, but it does have to be something that is consistent, consistently uh, getting him moving and using the energy that he has. So we want to get out as much energy as possible. We do not want him exhausted, however. So I'm not saying make him tired, but what I'm saying is if you can get some of the energy out, that would be great. Doing push-ups, jumping jacks. One activity that I notice a lot of kids like these days is to do the Just Dance videos that you can find on YouTube where they mimic the body movements of people dancing to popular music. And so doing that for five, 10 minutes is a good way to get some of that energy out. And for you who aren't sure what that is on YouTube, just type in Just Dance. There are some popular music videos that are available and it shows people dancing and the idea is that you would just copy their movements for the entire song. And it's, it's actually fun for a lot of teenagers because they use a lot of popular music. Get out as much energy as possible is number one before the study time. The, the second thing is to eliminate all distractions that you possibly can. So they needed to set up a place where he could do his study time that was not in a busy area. They were actually using the kitchen as the place to do study time for him for his homework. The problem with that is you had people running in and out, 
You had things going on, conversations happening. He also had his phone with him, uh, tablets. So a lot of things were happening in that high traffic area. So the recommendation is to find a place that's suited to do the homework that would be as free from distractions as possible. Now, as parents, you definitely want to remove phone, you want to remove any of that type of distraction. And I know your child is going to complain about it. I know, I already know, I get it. However, it is important for them to be able to focus and specifically for their son to be able to focus on the task at hand. Now, if they want to listen to music, and I get that because that's usually what a lot of kids say. I know I'm kind of reading the mind of kids, right? But that's because I work with so many kids. They're like, hey, I just want my device so I can listen to music. Well, yeah, you can listen to music, but you don't want them to have access to the device where they can start to lose focus on what needs to happen. So have a speaker in there where they can listen to music that's great if they need to listen to music um, to help calm them down etc but don't have them don't give them access to the entire device where they can scroll and lose track and start texting friends etc uh, the third thing is to make a to-do list so make a to-do list on things that your child needs to accomplish now this to-do list should be a to-do list that your child can actually accomplish uh, with this child we don't want a task list that's 10 items long in fact we only want one based on uh, Rebecca and John to do one or two tasks then the parents can come and check in or he can go and check on his parents when he's finished uh, that he's completed those two items. The reason that we want him to be able to complete the task is once you're able to do something, you feel more motivated and you are more engaged in the process and you're willing to move forward. So make a to-do list, but adjust the to-do list based on your child's ability to complete the to-do list. As he becomes progressively better at doing the two items, we'll add a third item, we'll add a fourth item. But again, we are meeting the child where your child is at and helping your child increase from there. So just be aware of that, make a to-do list. Now, number four, help them stay on task with a helpful gesture or a sign. So a hand on a shoulder or a look. Now, uh, we're doing this during the study session that the parent can come in and check on your child and just to have a gesture that you can do in order to help your child maintain focus on the task at hand. And you want to tell your child, okay, I'm going to come in and check on you. I'm just going to put my hand on my sh on your shoulder just to let you know I'm here and to reassure you that if you have any questions, you can ask me. It's not going to be disruptive or anything like that. So a hand on the shoulder would be helpful, but it prepares your child for you checking in and letting them know that you're still there and you're, you're able to follow through and help them out. Okay, so help them stay on task with a helpful gesture or a sign. If you're in the same room that they're doing the studying in, then you could also just do it by having a, a look and a, a nod. That works too. Okay, so decide what would work best for you and your child. Now, number five uh, is to take the necessary breaks. You need to take breaks. <laughs> you need to take breaks. So having a child sit through two hours of homework, depending on the child, is hard, which is why some schools, most schools, have recess, right? You have a break here, and then you do a fun activity here in between the learning sessions. So for their child, the idea is, okay, he needs a break here, and he needs a break here. So we're going to have them focus and then he's gonna have a 15 minute break here, and then focus, and then 15 minute break here. We're doing all of this based on the ability of the child to be successful. Can you see how we're structuring everything to help the child 
be successful. And that's our goal because we absolutely want to help them be as successful as possible. So those are the five things I'm gonna repeat them so you know. The first thing is to get out as much energy as possible. Second one is to eliminate any distractions, including screens. Number three, make a to-do list, things that they need to accomplish, and break down the list on things that they can focus on during the time period that they're working. Number four, help them stay on task by giving them a gesture and checking in with them. And then number five is take the necessary breaks that is needed for your child to continue working, right? So those five things. I'm going to say them again because I'm telling you right now, I work with so many parents, but repetition, repetition, repetition is always best. So the first one is to get out as much energy as possible. Number two is to eliminate all distractions. Number three, make a to-do list. Make the list doable for your child. Number four is help your child stay on task by with a gesture of some sort where you can check in with them that's not necessarily disruptive. Number five, take necessary breaks. Have your child take some breaks when your child needs it, okay? So those five things. I had Rebecca and John focus on establishing those five things. And so we went into depth about what they can do to create this environment for maximum learning for their 10-year-old son and for their 10-year-old son to remain focused on the task at hand. Now, after that, after we determined everything, where he was going to study, how he was going to be distraction-free, you know, what they were going to do before the study time to get the energy out. After we, we went through each of those areas, then we went over two specific behavioral skills that they are going to use in order to teach their son to stay focused on what he needs to do. Now, the first skill is called preventive teaching. And the second skill is called correcting behaviors. They're two different skills. Preventive teaching is a skill that you use in order to prepare your child for a future event where you want them to behave a certain way. So if you are anticipating that your child is going to be doing something that may be difficult in the future, then you would use preventive teaching to prepare them. And the goal is to help them so they know what to expect, what to do when that event happens. In this case, we're gonna use preventive teaching to prepare this child so he can focus on what he needs to do and what to do if he becomes distracted and what he needs to do. So preventive teaching is the very first skill. Correcting behaviors is a skill that will be implemented during the study time the child becomes unfocused. So that's the skill that you would use. It, let's say that he's studying, he becomes distracted all of a sudden, and he's not focused in on what needs to be done to be done, then instead of using preventive teaching, we're actually going to be using correcting behaviors because we want to correct that behavior in order to help that child be more uh, successful. But I'm going to go over the steps of preventive teaching because this is what I did with Rebecca and John in order to help them out. So with preventive teaching, there are six steps. So the first step is to say something positive about your child's behavior or express empathy about how they may be feeling. Let me go through the steps first, and then I'll go back and we'll talk about each of the steps. Say something positive about your child's behavior or express empathy about how they may be feeling. Step number two, describe how you want your child to act. Avoid telling your child what you don't want them to do. Step number three, give your child a meaningful reason to behave that way, to behave the way that you want them to behave. 
Now, this reason must be meaningful for your child. Step number four, practice the expected behavior. This is the most important part of preventive teaching. You need, you need to practice it and your child needs to practice it. Okay, number five, find something positive they did during the role play, during the practice, and correct only if necessary. If they did it well, great. They need correction, you can correct it that time. And then step number six is to continue practicing that behavior. And once your child has done it correctly at least once, you need to practice at least four more times. So it really becomes uh, second nature to them and it becomes fluid, easy for them to do. Okay, so those are the six steps. So I'm gonna go through them again, but you can find uh, a list of these steps. So it will help guide you along this whole process of how to follow each of the steps. So don't, don't feel like, oh, I need to write all this down and frantically trying to keep up. You can actually print off a copy of all of these steps. Let's start off with say something positive, which is step number one, uh, about your child's behavior or express empathy about how they may be feeling. So with Rebecca and John, this is for them to help their child behave and stay on task with what he needs to do. Say something positive. They can say, Something like, hey, this is a way to express empathy. Hey, I know it's it can be a struggle sometimes to stay focused on what you need to do. That's expressing empathy. For say something positive, you say, hey, son, you're doing really well listening to me right now while we're talking about how to focus in on homework. So it doesn't have to be this big elaborate thing. It can be very short, but those are some examples of using step number one. Now, uh, step number two is describe how you want your child to act and avoid telling your child what you don't want them to do. Okay, this is a tricky one because a lot of times parents think they're explaining to their children what they're doing, but they're explaining it by explaining what they shouldn't be doing. So they say things like, don't do that. Well, don't just sit there. Don't avoid me. Don't flip rubber bands. Okay, when you say things like that, uh, think about it. The don't becomes lost in that sentence. And what the child may be hearing is, oh, flip rubber bands. Okay, whatever. This is a thing parents really need to be aware of. You need to describe what you want your child to do. What you want your child to do. So describe how you want your child to act. Now, in the case with Rebecca and John, what we wanted the child to do is refocus on the homework that needed to be done. So in order to do this, and after I got more information about their son, one of the things that they felt would be helpful is having him take a deep breath and then refocusing all his attention on whatever is in front of him. Now, that may not be what you want your child to do, but this is what Rebecca and John felt would be helpful to recenter him on the task in hand. What they described that, they said, okay, so when I come over and I notice you're not paying attention, I want you to take a deep breath in your nose, hold it, and then let it out with your mouth and relax your shoulders and then look back at your paper. Very specific. That's the important thing is you need to be descriptive. You need to be specific in what you need to do and what they wanted their son to do. And they didn't tell him what not to do. Really think about if you're telling your child what not to do or are you really telling them what they should be doing? So that's what they wanted. They wanted him to take a deep breath, to hold it, to let it go, and then to look, actually look at the piece of paper and continue on with the, with the homework. This is what they felt would be helpful for their child to refocus. So step number three is to give a meaningful reason to behave that way. 
So they said, you know, when you are able to focus and you get your work done in the time period, then we can, during your break, have a reward, have a treat. And you can choose a cookie or you can choose something that you want to have or a popsicle um, if you're able to finish the task at hand. So they decided to use that. Now we, we mapped this out before we actually practiced it with the child, but we mapped it out. And so after you explained that, or the parents came up with that, then we talked about practicing it with their child. And the idea behind the practice is the practice, which is step number four, is role play. You want to be able to demonstrate what you expect by doing it yourself for your child so they can see it. Now, children learn better when they see it, right? We all learn better when we see it rather than having it explained to us. So during the practice, I actually took on the role of the parents and they took on the role of their son. And I told them, okay, so this is, let me show you what it looks like. And I did this. I went, pictures are worth a thousand words, right? So by demonstrating what that looked like, they were like, oh, okay, I got it. And so I did it first and then we switched it and then have them do it and me watch. And we started to talk about, okay, did it correctly. So after we practiced it, then I picked out one thing that they did really well. And I said, hey, you know, you were able to breathe deeply and hold that really, really well. And then when you let out, I saw your shoulders come down and you looked more calm. Okay, great. So that is step number five. Find, some, find something positive that they did during the role play. And then if you need to correct, then you can correct. So for Rebecca, it was the praise. For John, it was, oh, so you breathed in, but you didn't hold it long enough. So let's hold it just a little bit longer, maybe count to three and then let it go. So we practice it with John making the correction. And then uh, the final step is to continually practice. So we practiced it. And as Rebecca was able to do it right the first time, she did it four more times. And then John had to do it correctly. And then we practiced it four times correctly after that. So this becomes a muscle memory for their child to be able to do this and communicate this. That's basically the preventive teaching. In fact, let me run through it in the way that we, we did it. I'm gonna present each of the steps and you're probably uh, going to be like, wow, that was kind of fast. But preventive teaching doesn't have to be this big elaborate thing. It actually is very specific. Uh, number one, say something positive about your child's behavior. Hey, you're really paying attention to what we need to do right now, which is learn how to stay focused on the task at hand, which is great. Thank you. When you become distracted and I remind you, what I want you to do is take a deep breath in, hold it for three count to three and then let it out and let your shoulders drop. And then I want you to look at your piece of paper and continue working. So that's describe the behavior. Okay, number, uh, giving meaningful reason. When you're able to do that during the break, if you finish everything that we have on your list, then we can have a cookie party. And that's something that you really like, right? Okay, great. So let's go ahead and practice it. I'm gonna show you first and then you can do it. So this is what it looks like. Okay, good. Now your turn, you do it because you saw me do it. Great job, you did a great job. You were able to take a deep breath in, count to three, hold it, 
and then you let it go, then you look down, you wrote on your piece of paper. Exactly, that's what I want you to do. That's really, really good. Now let's practice it four more times, okay? That's all of it, okay? I went in depth on each of the steps, but that is a whole preventive teaching interaction with this child based on the strengths and what the parents wanted to focus on and do with their child. Uh, preventive teaching is to be done before he actually started the study sessions. He started doing all that. And we do that before in preparation for when the child is going to be studying and uh, they need to correct him and remind him that he can, then he can adjust and correct. Okay, so preventive teaching is one that you do before the situation occurs. It's preventing. And if you, if you do this a lot and you're able to do this well, you, you're going to find that your child is able to make the corrections uh, fairly quickly because they know what's expected. They know what is coming up. They're aware of how to respond. And you've already prepared them for everything that is about to occur. So this is a great thing. In fact, with Rebecca and John, the idea was to practice it with him the night before and then to practice it with him again right before he starts his study. They were going to practice it and go through everything again just to prepare him to remain focused. Let's say that during the course of the day, he struggles to maintain his focus on what, what he needs to do. So that's when the skill of correcting behaviors comes in. Now remember, I explained this before, preventive teaching is something that you do before an event. Correcting behaviors is correcting the behavior right in the moment. So right now, he's not paying attention, he's not following through. So he's not following through. Now the steps to correcting behaviors, but the steps to correcting behaviors is to get the child's attention, to stop the problem behavior, uh, express empathy, uh, step number three is describe the bad behavior. Step number four is deliver a consequence. Step number uh, five is describe what you want your child to do instead of the negative behavior. Number six is to give a reason why that behavior is important. And number seven is to practice the new behavior. If you've noticed, the steps to correcting behaviors and preventive teaching are very, very similar. They're very similar. However, what you're doing is you're describing the negative behavior in this instance and delivering a consequence for that behavior. Now, uh, I know parents are like, okay, deliver a consequence, that's gonna be hard. We have a lot of resources for you to use in order to, to help determine what that, those are beforehand. My recommendation for Rebecca and John is just like I practiced it with them through preventive teaching and we did it together and we planned everything out beforehand. When they went to their child, they weren't guessing on anything. The same thing should be done with correcting behaviors. You should actually go in knowing exactly the steps to this skill as well as how you're going to interact, what consequences you are going to consider using. You should know all of that beforehand because if you're reacting in the moment based on uh, trying to figure it out, you're gonna really struggle. You're gonna really, really struggle. Correcting behaviors with the seven steps get the child's attention. So if during the exercise or during the study time, their son becomes distracted and is not paying attention and you try to remind them and they're still struggling, then we practice that. And I asked Rebecca and John, what most likely would he be doing that would say, I'm not paying attention? And they said, well, he'd probably just be like looking up and looking out and like not paying attention this way. So I said, okay, 
then let's practice that behavior. Let's practice how that looks. What we did is we outlined it. Okay, get the child's attention. We'd say, son, express empathy. I realize that you are having a hard time focusing. I realize that you are struggling. And then describe the negative behavior. What you're doing right now is you are looking around the room. Okay, that's step number three. And because you are looking around the room, we are going to work a little longer into our break time so you can get it done, get your work done, which is the consequence. Now describe what you want your child to do instead. What you need to do is take your deep breath, hold it, let it go, and then look down on your paper and start working again. So I'm actually using what I did in preventive teaching to refocus him back on what he needs to do. And then I give a reason why. You know, if you're able to do that, and if you're able to do that right now, then we won't have to take that much time off of the break. So that will give you time to enjoy our cookie party that we have planned. So give the reason. And then, so let's practice that. Let me see you do that. And then have him practice it and do it. And if he's able to do it, you want to praise him, obviously, for that behavior. We're correcting the behavior when it's happening in the moment by following those steps. You're describing the negative behavior that you see. You are delivering a consequence. You're describing the behavior you want him to use. And in this case, we're using the exact same behaviors that we wanted in preventive teaching just to refocus him back on, on the task at hand. And then we give a reason why that's important and then practice it and praise him for being able to do that. And in all of these interactions, the parent, if they're well-prepared and practice this, you will not feel the stress of trying to figure out and becoming angry and frustrated. It did take us a while for me to communicate with uh, Rebecca and John on their interactions and their beliefs and their anger, their level of anger when it, be, when it came to having their son focus on the schoolwork that he needed to do. I get it. When kids are not doing it after you've explained it once or twice or three or a hundred times, and they still struggle, it can become overwhelmingly frustrating. However, as a parent, our goal is to help our child navigate through these difficulties and to help them through all of these things, but we need to do so in a calm manner. With the parents that I've worked with who have used these skills, when they are prepared, they are super calm because they know exactly how to respond, they know exactly what to say, they know exactly what to do, and it brings a sense of peace to them. So regardless of what the child does, they're able to address problems as they come in a very systematic and logical way without becoming reactive or angry or upset. In correcting behaviors, that is absolutely one that we practiced as well. Again, with the two skills, preventive teaching we use before an event happens. So before study time, we're going to use preventive teaching. And then during the course of the event, which is the study time, doing his homework, we'll use correcting behaviors and correcting his behavior and adjusting to that. And I hope you can see just how interconnected and interrelated they are uh, because the parents have done the work and made determinations on how they're going to interact and engage with their child. And we're using some of those same motivation systems we're using some of the same refocusing techniques that are going to work for this child. Now, is this going to work absolutely this exact same scenario for you? No, because children are different and you are different and your 
needs are different, but the idea behind sharing what is happening with this family and sharing this approach in helping to address the behaviors is to give you an outline of, hey, okay, this is what it looks like. This is how I can do it. And now I need to figure out exactly what I'm, I'm going to do as far as consequences for correcting behaviors for the negative behavior. Remember, consequences are not intended to punish. And I know that that's a very unpopular thought process for a lot of people out there, but consequences, effective consequences are meant to teach your child to change their behavior. Our goal is to help shape positive behavior and not damage a relationship. So you can extend a million consequences. Uh, however, if you don't maintain good relationships, then pretty much you as a parent become a consequence and eventually become a casualty of this whole engagement or interaction with your child. You want to be able to be on the side of your child to help your child through it all. And that's what I love about this model. This model is all focused on relationships. It's all focused on helping a child and a parent maintain close, tight bonds with each other. It's completely meant to help the child learn how to behave appropriately and how to, how to engage in the world in a positive way throughout their lives. And these skills are lifelong skills that will benefit you and your family. So with Rebecca and John, going through those two, two skills are what they are going to implement with their child to help their child refocus. Now, here's the caveat that I gave them, and that is that it is going to take work up front to see long-term changes. And let me explain what that means. It is very important for parents to understand that it does require time and effort up front to do this. However, when you pay the price up front, you're going to have benefits for the rest of your life. It's going to last for a long time and you're going to see transitions and changes in your child. But learning these skills, you're going to find ways to implement them during the changes your child is experiencing in order to help them as they grow and you will continually benefit from it. One of the things that I point out to uh, parents who are, are learning these behavioral interventions and these skills from the teaching family model is that, you know, parents will spend the time necessary for their kids. They will. And if you are able to spend it up front in using these effective skills and you're spending a lot of time there, then it's easier in the long run and there's less time. You're doing all the work up front. If you do not invest the time up front, your child tends to have problems and issues as they grow older, and then you're spending all the time during that period of their life. And so the idea that you're gonna spend the time regardless, you might as well spend it on something that will be powerful and will change their lives, that only makes sense, right? For Rebecca and John, the idea is that spend the time up front to learn the skills, learn preventive teaching, learn correcting behaviors, learn how to do it, do it well, Invest the time in making corrections to your child during the first week. You're going to be correcting him quite a bit. You're going to be doing these skills quite a bit. You may do uh, preventive teaching actually every morning for the first week, maybe every morning for the first two weeks. However, as time progresses and you continually use these skills, it becomes second nature for your child. It's like muscle and muscle memory. 
the more we practice something, the more we do something, the easier it becomes and the more natural it becomes. So if you're able to do that up front, you're going to find that it's going to pay off in the long run. So I prepared them for that. I just said, hey, you're going to probably do preventive teaching every morning for the first week and maybe for the second week and then every other day for the third week. The idea is long-term change. And that's what we're here for here at Smarter Parenting. We are here to see the long-term changes happening with families. This isn't a short fix. It's not a Band-Aid. This is something more intensive that has longer lasting consequences and benefits for you as a parent. So spend the time up front and realize it's going to take a lot of work up front to help your child learn to focus. But can you imagine what it's going to be like later on in six months from now when you're not making corrections every half hour or 15 minutes and now you're making corrections every two hours or making corrections every three or four hours, right? It's a process. I gave them permission to be patient with themselves and to forgive themselves for any mistakes that they do and just jump back on and begin applying those skills again. There's high degree of a need for parents to have self-forgiveness in their efforts with their children. I know the intent and the desire for parents is that they love their children and they want to help them. And so I completely understand that. I get that. And so they're acting from that place. And sometimes in acting in that place, their expectations are super high where the child is unable to, to meet it. So we need to meet our children where they're at and help guide them along the way. Now, there are some printable materials that are available. Some of them are in the link here. There are some uh, additional ones that you can use for correcting behaviors that will be super helpful for you. Uh, there are some chore ideas that you can have in there to issue as uh, consequences so you don't have to come up and think of a million of your own. We've created that for you. We have some behavior coupons that are available for correcting behaviors. Those behavior coupons are, are helpful in your interaction with your child as well. Um, there are steps to the correcting behavior skill and for the preventive teaching skill. So yeah, there's a lot of resources that are available under the uh, correcting behaviors uh, lesson. So jump over there on the Smarter Parenting website. You're also going to find that there are a lot of uh, printable materials that you can use and worksheets that you can use. There is uh, steps to preventive teaching that you can print out so you can follow each of the steps. There's a find a meaningful reason handout. Now that handout is on the Smarter Parenting website and that handout helps you understand what is motivating for your child. Because sometimes a lot of parents struggle to know what is a meaningful reason to give for behaving a certain way, which is step number three, preventive teaching, and step number six in correcting behavior. So jump over there, you can fill that out. It helps guide you along the entire process. You're not alone in this. In fact, we've created all of these resources to help you use these skills and you can use them at home on your own. Now, if you need additional help, if you need someone to coach you through that, just like I did with Rebecca and John, feel free to contact me. You can sign up for coaching on the Smarter Parenting website. There, uh, you will share your information, your story, and there we can create something that's individualized to you and your child. What I share today is going to work for Rebecca and John. 
but you may have different needs and you have different things that you want to consider. And that's what I'm here for to coach you through it. So feel free to sign up for that on the Smarter Parenting website. Everything on their website is for free, except for coaching sessions. So if you need me to coach, then there is a payment for that. However, everything else on the website is free. All the printable materials, the videos, the lessons, it's for free. So a huge shout out to our sponsors, Utah Youth Village, uh, for making this available. Super grateful for them and their support in reaching out to help families around the world. Let us know if you have any questions that you need answered during this difficult time. Let us know because we want to answer those questions here. Uh, we're here for you. Any questions, nuanced questions that you may have about your children and how to engage with them, we're here. All right, that's it for me. And I hope you have a great weekend. I will talk to you later. All right, thank you. Bye.